when I was little, I really wanted to be a Baptist preacher. That was my trajectory. It's what I wanted to do, which is very ironic now. But um, I think what I loved about it was oral storytelling, how a preacher has a so-called script, they use music, and they like can convey an emotion through it. And the older I got, I realized it was more of like the spiritual connection of like how something could be healing. everyone welcome back to the ivory tower boiler room and also a broadway musical stony brook university um special too because some of my students are in the audience hi students um i am so excited to be joined by a friend of mine um who i'm going to learn a lot about because i do not know nearly enough about the one and only tristan pullen so first hi tristan hi andrew <laughs> So I think Tristan is um, recording right now in Texas. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Northeast Texas. Nice. Okay. So just to give you all some background, Tristan calls himself a freelance director. He's going to get into that because I have a lot of questions about that. Um, he graduated in 2017 from Santa Fe University of Art and Design, where he earned his BFA in acting and a minor in scenic design. Really interesting choice. Um, and in May of 2021, he graduated from the University of Memphis, where he earned his MFA in directing. So Tristan, let's maybe just start with your background, which is how did you get that theater bug? Do you remember when it hit oh, you? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of like this twofold story. Um, when I was little, I really wanted to be a Baptist preacher. That was my trajectory. It's what I wanted to do, which is very ironic now. But um, I think what I loved about it was oral storytelling, how a preacher has a so-called script. They use music and they like can convey an emotion through it. And the older I got, I realized it was more of like the spiritual connection of like how something could be healing. Um, but what really put me in the actual theater was um, my dad and my mom were obsessed with me doing sports. And I was like short, fat, looked like the Pillsbury Doughboy. And uh, my grandma was like, we're not doing this anymore. It's my turn now. And she took me to a theater and I never left. Um, I played Rumpelstiltskin at a seven-year-old and... I have done theater nonstop since. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I really got my theater bug was from the church and then um, just experiencing it. Yeah, do you remember the um, first um, performance you saw that could be a play or a musical mm -hmm. that um, was professionally done by um, a community theater equity or a touring company? Well, now the first, oh, the first play I remember vividly remember seeing is um, um, kind of like an obscure musical for like, I think the masses. I don't think many people know this one, but 
um, in the theater world, everyone knows it, is A Secret Garden or The Secret Garden. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandma took it. It was a local community theater that was doing it. And the review said you would not leave singing the music. And to this day, I sing the title number. I think it is absolutely stunning. Um, but um, I was dying to see Wicked, dying mm-hmm. to see Wicked. And Dallas is just right down the highway from my hometown. And they just could not get tickets. So my grandmother thought it would suffice to let me go see Lion King. Mm -hmm. And um, we were sitting in the orchestra. The elephant walked right beside me. I was in awe. um, And it really created a lifelong um, obsession with Julie Taymor and her work. Um, But then I saw Wicked and I was hooked. I played that soundtrack until it did not play anymore, you know? Yeah, well, and um, I think it's so interesting that you mentioned The Secret Garden, which um, is such a really elegant and the music is very um, operatic at times. Frank Wild, I think it's Frank Wildhorn, who also did Jekyll and Hyde, um, yeah, if I remember. Like- yeah, and it also had like a almost exclusive female team creating it, which mm-hmm. had not been done. Um, but it's like, it has this like operetta feel where it's not quite a musical, it's not quite a opera, but it's, yeah, it's just, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just completely stunning. The music and the imagery and the symbolism within it. Um, and even being like a little, I can't, can't even I was probably in the fourth grade when I saw it I I understood it so well mm. and it it makes you even for a fourth grader I remember hurting for the characters and like longing I wanted to get in that garden I needed to see what was in it and I wanted her presence the spirit I think of Lily yeah Lily's eyes um to be there you know it was just it was so impactful um so yeah yeah, well, and when did you actually, you know, as a theater lover, you're talking about your childhood relationship to it. Um, Broadway must have always been in the back of your mind. I mean, being from New Jersey, I had a easy connection to get there. But, um, and I grew up by Philly, so we had a lot of touring productions. Um, also the Wanted Street Theater, which I love. Um, so... When did you make your way to Broadway? Like, do you remember that experience? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, you know, when I got into high school, I decided what I wanted to do was become a high school drama teacher. Mm. Um, I I, I adored my high school drama teacher to this day. I call her a second mother. Um, I call her about all life things. (laughs) Um, And she took me the summer after my freshman year to New York as our class trip. And um, I was thriving. Um, you know, I was this young, queer, you know, raised in this hyper-religious community, and I was in New York City, and I was seeing men hold hands and kiss each other, and, like, there was this, like, almost feeling of liberation, but then also, like, the access to the arts of New York City, Mm -hmm. Um, and I always said I would go back. I always wanted to live there, and then I think it was one, two, three, four, five, five years later, I lived there. So, yeah. Yeah. So this was your um, high school drama teacher. Okay. Okay. 
who you have such a strong bond with to this day. Oh yeah. That's what I think that's amazing about young kids getting into theater. Like, is that a high school drama teacher can literally save a kid, but it can also bring us the greatest gifts in theater, you know? Um, that's where it starts. Um, and that's why I love community theater too, is I think that the best theater you can ever see in the nation, potentially the world is in a community theater. Yeah, yeah. Well, wait, I have a question to follow up with community theater. Okay. First, though, I want to correct the record. So the secret garden, because when I was saying about Frank Wildhorn, I'm like, this doesn't sound right. So yes, yes, Tristan is right. It is an all-female team, which is rare in musical theater. Yeah. Um, Marsha Norman did the uh, script and lyrics and music is by Lucy Simon. So there you go. Want to make sure I give them the proper credit for creating a musical. Um, but yeah, so to go to the community theater aspect, why you just said a really provocative statement, which is you really think that community theater is this hotbed. I mean, I'm rewording what you said, but that's my job here, um, is this hotbed of um, really exploring theater's potential and possibilities. Okay, why? Why do you think that instead of maybe always going to, um, you know, see a Broadway musical or play? Well, ooh, I hope this is not problematic, but um, I think Broadway is just for the masses. Hmm. It's capitalism. You have to make your money back. So it's it's projected at creating art that the masses will love, right? We see shows happen all over the world that never touch Broadway that have a crazy, crazy impact on society, culture, spirituality, and all these things. In community theater, I think there is the opportunity of mistakes hmm. and yeah. failure. And I think art is built and formed and um, um, I can't think of words, um, but formed through fire of failure. And in a community theater, I mean, I got my start there. And whenever I am trying to figure out something within my artistry, I always go back there. Hmm. Because I am, I am a director, but I'm also an educator. And when you're in a community theater, I am a director that teaches. So like I can teach while I'm directing. And I just, I have seen such beautiful performances from people who have no true um, training in a way that I think it's raw, you know, it's not, I, I can't quite wrap my, he my head around the words I'm trying to say, but that community theater offers us a chance to create art that's not necessarily for the masses, but for the art, uh, for the sake of saying something. Mm -hmm. And I think I love what Disney did for Broadway, but I think that's so commercialized, right? Like Frozen says what Frozen says, but it's not sparking any real true conversations, right? Mm -hmm. Not what like Oklahoma did for when Rodgers and Hammerstein first brought that to the American stage, right? We're not, we're not truly going at it. That's why, you know, like I, I have, I'm obsessed with Hades Town because I think it says something and it's artistic and it 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 really I think it's fixing to usher in a new way of creating musicals for um Broadway that kind of links us back to community ensemble if that makes any sense. No, no, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's why I think it's so important for those in the New York City area um 
like the equivalent you're talking about, well, first, there's so many community theaters in the metro area. Um, Long Island has some wonderful ones. Jersey does. Connecticut. All, all states have really great community theaters. But I love Off-Broadway. I think I've seen some really cutting edge. I saw the Carrie musical revival Off-Broadway. I thought it was really wonderfully done. Yeah, I've seen experimental theater. Um, and a and ticket, I'm in New York. Yeah. Uh, when I'm in New York, I try to go see Off-Broadway mm -hmm. or Off-Off-Broadway because I think that's where the real art. Now, that's not saying that like Broadway has no art at all. I'm not saying that, period. Because like, I think one of the best plays that have hit Broadway in probably the past, I don't know, five years is Slave Play by Jeremy O'Harris. I'm obsessed with this show. I think it is breathtaking. I think it is edgy. I think it is raw. And I think it makes people uncomfortable. And that's the kind of theater I like to create. And I think that it is very um, rare for theater on Broadway to make people uncomfortable. I mean, how can, else can you be a play that's the most Tony nominated, oh, Tony nominated play and not win one? Mm. You know, it's- It it's reminds just, me of, did you have a chance to see The Inheritance in two parts? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really wonderfully done yeah. play. Um, but yeah, I- and all of the Broadway actors, they always talk about their love of stock, the like summer stock, and they love off Broadway and off off Broadway, just like in a way how film actors like indie films, right? It gives them this freedom and creativity. And um, I mean, I can give you an example since I think it's relevant. I just saw Chicago, which I love. That's probably one of my favorite musicals. Um, for the dance and the singing and working with a, you know, black box set in a way. And I think that's really difficult um, that I've seen so many different casts, but I think as an audience member, you kind of have to go into, especially Broadway, like these are specific interpretations, but I think the hardest is to try to work against thinking that it's going to be if it's such a popular musical, always comparing it to the cast album. And I think for Broadway, that's the toughest is what they call the track, right? I mean, do you want to explain what a track is, Tristan? Because that's such a specific well, um, concept. Well, there's, I'm trying to figure out how I can say this correctly. Um, well, okay. So the track, like there is, okay. I had a beautiful friend that I worked with, um, Lorianne, um, who was a swing for Wicked, right? Mm -hmm. And she had to learn different tracks within it as a swing. And I think she knew something like I've seen, like 15 different tracks. So there's ways to do the show, but it's always different, right? Like you have Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel, you know, singing off the charts. It's That's your cast album that's what people are thinking but when a new actor comes in yeah there is a set track but they're putting their own flavor into it that's why I would love to go see Chicago right now is to see how uh Pamela oh Anderson yep that's who I Anderson. saw yeah Pamela Anderson does it is because I think it would be such a different spin mm -hmm. and that's the thing about you know revivals and shows that last so long is that people are coming in and putting their own spin on it. Like, look at Waitress. 
how many people have come in and played the title roles and they were so different. Yeah. Including you know? the creator, Sarah Bareilles, who has such a different uh, yeah. interpretation than um, Catherine McPhee, for example, or um, right. Jesse Mueller. Or they, they put um, um, Todrick Hall in it. You know, I would have never put Todrick Hall in that musical, but he did it, you know? Like, I, I always think Todrick Hall is kinky boots or something crazy and flashy and like mm. off the charts. And I feel like it just goes to show how versatile he can be too. Yeah, well, and I can tell you about Pam Anderson, just seeing her on that stage. And I was in the front row of the mezzanine, so I saw her. Um, I like actually when film, um, like a film actress like Pamela Anderson gave it a nuance that I wasn't expecting from Roxy. Like I actually thought she brought out this childhood trauma and I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. She had a really hard life and she's just not a narcissist who's manipulating. Like, yes, she is, but why is she like that? And I think I could really tell Pamela Anderson was putting in her own idea of failed celebrity or celebrity who has to make themselves relevant or how does she see herself in the limelight? And of course, though, when she has to hit those poses, she knows how to get her spotlight. I mean, she was a model for so many years. Um, So yeah, but again, did I think she was going to be, and this is no shade against Pamela Anderson, because I don't think it's a negative. She was not the best singer I've heard for Roxy. But is Roxy supposed to be an amazing singer? I don't know. That's an interpretation. It's like in Cabaret. Is Sally Bowles supposed to be incredible? Not really, because they're subpar Cabaret singers. You know, right. so it kind of fits the role. But again, I don't think they can do the same casting with Velma Kelly, who was a celebrated cabaret singer and dancer. And they've right. never stunt casted Velma Kelly because I don't think you need someone who's ready. You can't do it. That's like trying to like fill in the shoes of Cheetah Rivera. You're not going to do it. No, exactly. But yeah, so and I think, Tristan, what I'm really curious about is so you studied acting and you got a minor in scenic design first when you studied acting did it have musical theater in it or was it more of like you could do musical theater classes but we're going to do more of method acting or like what kind of acting were you doing okay hold on to that question because we'll be right back but first a word from our sponsor When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I got my scholarship for undergrad for music theater. So, um, and I did vocal training through all four years of undergrad and still do it to this day Um, (laughs) because I get hired to do vocal performance more than I do acting when I'm not directing. Um, But so I got there and um, 
one of the professors there, his name was John Jory. He was the artistic director of the Louisville Theater in Kentucky and created the Humana Festival. Um, and he, after the first week, he said, um, after auditions, he said, you can sign up and we'll talk about how your first round of auditions went as a freshman. And I walked in the room with him and he said, oh, so you're the freshman who wants to direct. Hmm. And he said, I don't want to hear a word of directing until you can figure out how to act. And I went, oh, okay. So I did my monologue for him and he, he gave a few adjustments and he said, come down to my office. We're going to give you a book about directing. And immediately within the first four weeks with um, him and Laura Feinhawks, who was the chair, really like changed my schedule completely. They took me out of ballet classes and put me in film classes and they were trying to make me more actor focused so that I could do more directing. And I was, I wasn't acting in shows on the main stage. I was directing shows or assistant directing. And um, that's where I really fell in love with it. And John Jory once told me, he said, to be a good director, you first have to be an actor. You have mm -hmm. to know what your actors go through so that you can coach them, teach them, lead them, guide them on the path of the production. But to make a production happen, a good director needs to understand design. And he said, you're going to start taking design classes. So I took costume classes. I took set design classes and I fell in love with set design. Um, and I really became a director who wanted to design every aspect of the show I could. I wasn't ever really good at lights. I love lights. It's probably one of my favorite aspects of a show. And, um, and I always had a, a good ear for like the, the underscoring of a show, mm. but his wife, uh, Marsha Jory was a costume designer and um, Laura Finehawks was a set designer. So they really just like crafted this beautiful experience for me to where I was like in the center of the theater world and I was getting to dabble in everything but not just dabbled enough to say I know, like mm -hmm. I was being challenged to be good. And um, so, yeah, and then um, I'm trying to think, um, I really started branching out. We had such fabulous faculty at Santa Fe University of Art and Design. Um, in my sophomore year, um, we had a uh, visiting um, professor come to town. Her name was Amanda Zahar. And she introduced Suzuki theater to me, which is a Japanese form of movement theater. And I became obsessed. And it is now the cornerstone of my, how I teach, how I direct. I completely turned away from Stanislavski's method of acting um, and really started wanting to build characters from the feet up. So I wasn't just acting with my neck up. Um, and I incorporate that to this day in my productions. Um, so it was this beautiful opportunity to have like a melting pot of everything to, I call it a toolbox. That's what I call it, tell my students that like my goal as your professor is to give you every tool for your toolbox so that you mm. can go out and create. And I felt like that's what they were giving me. And then um, I wanted to direct and I kept applying and applying and applying and no one would hire me. I was 19 years old. No one was going to hire a 19 year old to just take over the reins and really like direct something. Hmm. So I came home and I sat down with my family and I said, I want to direct and it's not there. And my grandmother looked at me and said, create it. 
Hmm. And my parents got behind me and I created my own theater company at 19. And it was a summer stock theater company. We produced one to two shows a year. Um, The first show was a streetcar named Desire um, that I directed. And it really, um, I don't know, it was, it was, it began my pilgrimage to find my process as a artist. I don't like saying I'm a director. Um, it's kind of like how Julie Taymor says, I'm not a director. I'm not a playwright. I'm not a designer. I'm a world builder, mm-hmm. a world creator. And I really love that. Um, and, you know, in America, that's not always a good thing, but it's very European that a director, you know, designs and directs at the same time. But um, I see the theater as my art and I want to put that on stage. Um, I hope that answers your question. I feel like I- No, no, yeah, no, you're, I love this journey you've taken us on because I think something that um, the public doesn't really know when they are sitting in that seat as an audience member is how much has gone on with the um, creative team. Like Mm -hmm. my students now know about just the beginning stage of the lyricist, the composer, the director, well, the script, then the director. Um, and then, like you said, there's a set designer, there's a lighting designer. Um, there's an, if there's an orchestra, there's going to be a conductor, right? There's all these elements. And um, I think what I kind of do want to get back to that, because I think it would be so helpful for you to break, the, break this down for those listening is what because I am always curious, like I have a background in musical theater. I trained since I was a child. I was first in ballet, then I did vocal lessons, then I did acting lessons, and then I went into musical theater. But I wasn't going to continue ballet because you have to make a decision and end of middle school. Like that's your career and that's it. You're not going to do musical theater. That's why I went the tap dance route. (laughs) Yeah, but it was great training. Um, But yeah, so... I'm curious, what, can you explain, like say, okay, I am, you're going to direct me and um, I don't know, pick a character, Tristan. I don't, um, okay, uh, from musical theater or anything? Anything, anything okay. that you're currently absorbing right now. Uh, well, I just played Brick on Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, so we'll do that. So Brick. Okay, we'll do Tennessee Williams. There you yeah. go. Um, so what would be, if I want to, read everything I can about the period. I'm going to like read everything I can about what it would have been like to live as Brick, you said, in um, what historical period is Cat on a Hot Tin Roof? Well, it was written in 50s, but it says present day in the script. Ah, So yeah, this is a directorial choice. Um, Okay, so say we're going to keep it in the 50s and I'm going to absorb as much as I can of the media in the 50s. I'll read some biographies. What kind of method of acting is doing more of that biographical history? Oh, okay. So now you're going to get educator, Tristan. Um, I do not agree with method acting at all, period. Um, and it's actually a translation mistake. When Stanislavski wrote the, acting, um, the uh, actor's work, they thought that he was saying that you had to relive these emotional trauma to connect with an emotion. And what he was really saying, you need to connect to physical task on stage. Mm-hmm. So your Sally Fields and your um, Heath Ledgers of the world um, really became their character. Marlon Brando would like go snort Coke before he'd go on stage for 
Stanley in a streetcar named Desire. And that's erratic. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you true, in my humble opinion, if you truly believe that you are a character, you have a mental health problem. You're not an actor. Mm. Um, so I believe what I tell my actors, well, first of all, if I cast someone in there, a mental, um, um, a method actor, um, I let them do their own thing within reason. Like, I don't want my cast to ever feel unsafe, but you have your own process. And apparently I liked you. So I hired you, um, cast you. So, but I, what I really like to do is I want them to first understand the text before we go anywhere. Um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof specifically gives you everything you need to act in that show. Um, when I I just was in this show and um, as Brick, mm-hmm. and it was almost it it was set in everywhere and nowhere. Huh. It was very Brechtian how the production was done. Um, so they really focused more on the text in the connections. Here's my thing. Um, I am a research fiend. And I think that's because of like the education side of Mm -hmm. me. Um, And I researched like crazy. This was a show that I didn't research. I journaled a ton because I mean, here's a little, you know, bit about me, but I was performing, the show was going to be performed in the same exact venue I got married in. And I had just gotten a divorce. My divorce was final four weeks before we opened the show. So I was sitting in this play in the same place I had gotten married. And I'm thinking about Brick who had this best friend that then dies and he has no connection to. And he is sitting around a family that does not understand him, that doesn't get him. And he's having to be so repressed that the only peace he can get is through alcohol until he hears a click. Hmm. And um, I focused it on trying to find my own island. I like giving myself um, images to work with. So like the bed was in the middle of the set and the audience was on two sides, like an alley formation. And um, I I just try to have him cling on. I find that if you look at the physical task and the objective at hand and just what Tennessee Williams is trying to convey, you don't have to do a ton of outside research. Now, if I was gonna play like Madame Curie, I think I would definitely, and it was set in that time period that is so far removed from us you need to know like period styles. How do they sit in a seat, you know, Mm -hmm. morning costumes, what was morning culture like and, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. So um, I think it's a delicate balance because you can do so much research that your performance is clinical. Mm -hmm. And I feel like watching too many versions of cat on a hot tin roof could I I tell my students never, ever, ever watch a show before you perform it, Mm. because then you're, you're trying to recreate something, you know, Um, when I directed a streetcar named desire, the big thing that had just happened was Gillian Anderson had just done it at the national theater and it was being broadcast everywhere. And it was brilliant. And I, for, I told my cast, you are not allowed to watch this thing. 
we're not recreating it we're doing something new um and i'm i'm all about if i'm teaching you see there's there's a weird dynamic i have never as an actor walked into a room and a director tell me how to form character they're mm -hmm. talking about my my verbs my actions my tactics my obstacles my objectives but they've never said this is how you should do this now as an educator teaching kids how to do this i try to give them many opportunities but i think it's more practical to say all right let's journal about our character understand what the script says about them now how do they walk mm -hmm. Do we know that their feet hurt? Like, do they have something? Like, do does is, is one of their knees have arthritis? Does it swing out? Oh, are they bow-legged? Like, build that way up because oftentimes, if you start with the psychological, you're you're done. It's going to stay right here in your eyes. And um, I like because I'm also a movement-based theater person. I want my body. We understand body language before we ever understand a word that comes out of our mouths. And that's what I focus on as a director. Yeah, yeah. So you really are, um, you've turned against that actor studio method of finding childhood trauma in yeah. your performance. Like, okay, you must feel triggered in order to get to that, um, to get the action and to get your character's right. analysis. Has Yeah, that was, and like you're saying, it, could have been it definitely seems like it was a translation yeah um issue with Stanislavski not understanding right. what the method when I was when I was little I was definitely trained method acting um I mean my 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 mother and I were talking about this the other day that um I can't even remember what show I was doing but something like the character had experienced trauma and she she said she could pinpoint when tech week was coming because I had taken this character's trauma on, mm -hmm. I was depressed. I was like purposely reading the most depressing books you could find. I was listening to like the saddest music and I was like so depressed because I wanted to be perfect in my character. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Jessica Lang, she kind of teeters on that method acting kind of line. But when she did long day's journey into not, she said that on a Sunday matinee, because you know that show's like four hours long. Yeah. She would um they would get a 30 minute break between the matinee and the evening performance. Mm -hmm. There was no disconnect. So by the time she was bowing out of the evening show, she was exhausted. And I just think, like, yeah, you're doing your job, so you should be exhausted, but think if you're truly this character, you know. Um I worked with a lady um, when I did Streetcar who did, um, who was performing Blanche and she was a method actor, truly. And you could see during curtain call that Blanche was still in her eyes. Mm. Like, and it would take her 45 minutes, an hour to get out of it. And her and her husband, she played Blanche and her husband played Stanley. Ooh. And it like almost wrecked their marriage because they brought it home. And it was just like, I'm the type of person when I leave the theater, I'm done, you know? Yeah. Well, now, how about Meryl Streep? What kind of method do you oh, think she, she... I think she's a method, but <laughs> I think she's iconic. So well, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't mean... even talk about them. Yeah. Um, well, but that's... I, yeah. I it, think it, Viola it, Davis, too. 
has yeah. more of a method. But it is interesting, though, because, right, Meryl Streep went to Yale School of Drama. I think Viola Davis went to Juilliard. Yes. I think. Um, but is, you know, is the is method acting still extremely popular in drama schools? Well, I'll tell you this. When John Jory left um, Santa Fe University of Art and Design, um, he had reached out to the new chairman, Christina Dorte, and said he was finding it challenging at UCLA to teach his grad students because the ones who came from, who were like um, abroad, that came to California or to UCLA had never heard of Stanislavski. Hmm. They had only known Suzuki. Oh, wow. So I have always said that I think that Suzuki will replace Stanislavski one day. Um, And when I teach, I kind of like teach Stanislavski, especially if the university wants me to, but I kind of like weave in um, because I think it's, I don't think there is a right way and a wrong way. I just think there's a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of ways to be healthy. But I think I think that we are moving away from it. I mean, if you if you even get on social media, the number of actors who are doing outcries of how like awful and how like narcissistic and like ego stroking it is to call yourself a method actor, you know, but Sally Field has gone on interviews and was like, I'm a method actor, okay? Like, don't talk about me like I'm not in the room. Um, But it works for her. You know, if it works for you and you can do it healthy by all means, but we can see what happens when it doesn't with Heath Ledger. He was iconic. He was an amazing performer, but he never could get the Joker out of his head. You know? Yeah, no, my aunt, who was a high school drama teacher and director, told me this story, but it happens all the time. Like you're saying, if you don't have these boundaries where one of her actors, he was trying to mimic getting high. And when like, he was downing all these energy drinks and then he almost passed out Mm -hmm. when he was at rehearsal. I'm like, oh yeah, that's not, she's like, I understand you're trying to get to your method, but this is dangerous. And now we're going to have a discussion. So yeah, this is a conversation, but I think that, um, right. Where you step in as a director is you know, you're very attuned or you have to be attuned to your cast. You have to really know if they're pushing a boundary, if they're in need of your guidance, right? So how do you, how do you gauge that? How do you really know your cast dynamic? There is so much more with Tristan Pullen. I can't release all of it because I have to leave you all in a little suspense, don't I? I mean, where would the theatricality be in an episode like this? Okay, my musical theater background is coming out now. But to listen to the full episode, head to our Patreon, patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Join at $5 a month. That's our starting price. So Less than a nice coffee at Starbucks, I can attest to it, especially when you add syrup and oat milk and, you know, all those alternatives for dairy. Tristan gives so much more information about what it means to be a freelance director, what he's doing now, um, his passion for Julie Taymor, um, and my students ask questions of Tristan. So... I actually, one of my students, Melanie, so shout out, Melanie, 
um, was there and really wanted to voice some questions that she had for Tristan. And just to let you all know, I finished teaching the Broadway musical course now because we're in the summer. But when I recorded this, it was actually at the end of my Broadway musical course. So some of my students attended this recording for extra credit. And then they wrote a reflection paper and they actually got to see the behind the scenes of how these podcast episodes happen, the recording session. And it meant so much that Melanie, that you asked questions of Tristan. So everyone, please head over to Patreon. Tristan's episode is not the only one there. So when you become a member, you unlock and can view all of our unedited videos and including Mary's True Crime and Academia. She has a bonus episode of uh, John Benet Ramsey. So you don't want to miss that. And make sure while I'm on my soapbox here that you follow Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Instagram, Twitter. We have a TikTok. Um, we also have Facebook too. It's a business page. So like us, please. Also, please rate our podcasts on Apple Podcasts. You can now rate us on Spotify. Um, give us the star rating. I'm not going to try to sway you all, but, you know, I think we're all stars here. See, as much musical theater puns as I can do here. And I really want to thank the team. I'm Andrew Rimby, the executive director. Mary DePippi is the chief contributor. Kimberly Dallas is our editor. And Nicole Arguello is our marketing assistant. So thanks to the team. I would not be able to be here right now without them. And thank you, Tristan, for such an excellent episode. And this is only the beginning, everyone. So like I said, head over to Patreon, Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Okay, and with that, have an amazing 4th of July weekend. Be safe out there, everyone. If you are in a sunny area, enjoy the sun. Um, maybe get in some swimming. I'm going to try to be outdoors as much as possible. Okay, bye, everyone. Thank you.